0: Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for
1: you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with His love and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that He has called us to be.
2: From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline.
1: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, brand new vicar. Vicar Steele, we're glad to have him with us. Uh, We're getting a good start, and we pray God's blessings. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week, we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. They're also the readings that uh, form and shape our devotional life during the week. Today, we're going to be looking at the readings for the 12th Sunday after Trinity, Trinity Twelve. Uh, Pastor, uh, you've been, uh, you've been doing a little gallivanting around the world. How was, uh, Syox Falls, South Dakota?
0: It was very nice. The falls are beautiful this time of year.
1: Are there actually falls in Sioux Falls? <laughs> there are. There's a whole park where
0: probably falls, I don't know, 50 or so feet over two dozen, three dozen little waterfalls and the water splits into different places. And there's little channels you can watch it go and get your picture taken next to and, Right now it's dry, so you can actually walk out on the exposed bare rock uh, that's all pink and um, get your picture taken real
1: close to it as well. Yeah, well, pink is a good color for you. and uh, Only during the season of Lent. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, that would be rose, not pink. Um, I've been to Sioux Falls many times. I've never seen the falls of Sioux Falls, and I left a part of me in Sioux Falls uh, most of the time that I went there. That's where I had my... Uh, knee surgeries after oh cool he showed me a picture here we we are audio not visual so um uh that's that's great well it's good to have you back glad it was a good trip and uh, hopefully a little good r and r as we head into our late summer and early fall season here at good shepherd our gospel reading for the 12th sunday after trinity mark 7 31 to 37 vicar take it away
2: Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, and went through Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephphatha," that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak.
1: He has done all things well. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is a, uh, that's kind of a great line that sums up Not only this particular miracle, but the person and work of Jesus in every way, shape, and form. Pastor, um, just a couple of words about what we are to do with miracles in general. Now, this is a healing miracle. There are several different types of miracles miracles. There are miracles of nature, uh, you know, walking on water or calming a storm. There are healing miracles. There are resurrection. I suppose that's the ultimate healing miracle where uh, uh, Jesus raises someone from the dead. Can, can you give us just some general uh, things to think about with regard to when you encounter a miracle, especially the miracles of Jesus, but when you encounter a miracle in the Bible?
0: Well, uh, a miracle is obviously a um, supernatural phenomenon where something happens that shouldn't naturally happen and we naturally in terms of the way we understand the world to work uh, and these miracles that happen all uh, testify to the godliness of Jesus Christ uh, that he is God in the flesh who has come to this earth to suffer bleed and die to forgive us all of our sins even in uh, uh, other places where Jesus isn't there when there's a miracle that takes place it actually points us to look to Jesus Christ because Miracles on their own do not create faith. Uh, And all the places you see miracles, not all the places, but many of the places you see miracles, there is preaching or teaching that happens with it. And the teaching and the preaching actually are what create faith. The miracle kind of is like the, hey, pay attention to what this guy is saying. Uh, He's an important speaker. And in this case, uh, you know, with Jesus doing the miracle, it says this is actually God in the flesh. So you should listen to his words, what he says. Faith comes by hearing. The Holy Spirit works
1: in the Word and in
0: no other way, and that's
1: consistent throughout all the Scriptures. That, those are very, very wise words, Pastor. Uh, the The miracles are real; they are true. Uh, they're a miracle because we cannot explain them naturally. And uh, when we have a when we come face to face with a miracle of Jesus, every one of these miracles. in in addition to all the finer points that it's teaching. Every one of these miracles teaches us that Jesus is God and to look forward to the greatest miracle of all, Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so keeping that in mind, we enter onto the holy ground here in Mark 7. Uh, A lot of stuff going on. Uh, The chapters are really long in the Gospel of Mark. And so you get just all kinds of wonderful stuff in each individual chapter mark 7 is one of those cool ones but uh, we have jesus returned from the region of tyre went through sidon to the sea of galilee in the region of the decapolis pastor give us a little geography here and put this in context does it matter and if it does why does it matter
0: it it very much does matter, uh, and it, this comes right after the healing of the uh, Syrophoenician, uh, let's see, Syrophoenician woman, uh, and. Uh, that happened right before this in the next chapter. And so then Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon, which are two cities that are actually Philistine cities. In fact, Tyre uh, is kind of neat. It's a a little island almost that juts out with a very narrow causeway that you could get out to the island uh, in the ancient world. It's uh, expanded a little bit in our modern times due to uh, uh, just uh, growth and buildings falling down, being used as fill-in. But uh, you have these two cities that are uh, Philistine cities. And at the time of Jesus, are pagan cities ruled by those who are either Romans or work for the Romans. In fact, there's some ruins there that uh, still tell us about their fact that they are pagan. And then you get to the Decapolis, which is also pagan cities, the ten cities, uh, nine of which are to the eastern part of the jordan river and then uh one uh beth Sheon that is on the western side and beth Shean is famous for being the pagan city where king saul was killed and they hung his body from the walls there on display until it was taken back and buried properly and so you have all this pagan um area non-christian non-jewish area that jesus is going and preaching in and i think this is really key uh it already is teaching us that for Jesus, for God, Christianity is not just a Jewish religion. This is already an issue that Jesus is going to the pagans, to the non-Jewish people and preaching the gospel and administering it. this probably does happen somewhat close to Beth Sheaon, which is the closest of the ten cities that uh, to the Sea of Galilee, just to the south of there. And you probably know it. You've seen it before, Pastor Poppy, because I know you're a big Jesus Christ Superstar fan, and part of Jesus Christ Superstar was filmed in Beth
1: Sheaon. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Why should
0: you want yeah. to know?
1: Yeah, the uh, the people were definitely smoking something when they uh, put that together. But uh, we digress. Thank you. And uh, this is this is why uh, these these cities, these locations, these things are are given to us um, not not as a tedium, not for Bible trivia, but things matter. And uh, to have to have a good Bible atlas, to have a a good working understanding of this geography it's it's certainly not necessary for salvation but it is a great wonderful enhancement to to be at least mentally if not making a trip um with uh, Pastor Moline someday to uh, actually stand on these places. It is uh, good to see this really happened in real time, in real places. God took on flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. He walked on this earth, and this particular miracle is going to enhance that incarnational Uh, aspect of our salvation.
0: And the mentioning of these three pagan cities tells us it's likely not uh, Jewish people here that he's
1: dealing with. And uh, that God's desire has always been that all people hear the good news of Jesus and come to faith. Verse 32 of Mark 7, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them. Do we know anything about the they? Who are the ones that brought the deaf mute to Jesus?
0: Well, um, what I would say is it is the people in that area and the people uh, that are following Christ around. And so we have a reminder as Jesus goes around and preaches and and does these miracles, he's gathering a following of people who are... um, alerted by these miracles that this is kind of an interesting, at least, if not important, guy. And so it's talking about that group of people, the ones from the area and the people who have been following Jesus around who are paying attention to the
1: miracles like we ought to. So it could be some local folks there from the pagan area that had heard about Jesus. It could be the throngs of followers that are following Jesus wherever they go. That's a, that's a big theme in the Gospel of Mark regardless of whether they were local or whether they were followers, taggers along, uh, how did they hear? How did they hear about Jesus? There's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. There's no 24-hour CNN. How did they hear?
0: Yeah, well, unlike us who have to follow Facebook and uh, CNN and uh, 24-hour news to get our information, but we don't actually interact with people because, you know, uh, that's takes effort and stuff to talk with people face to face Um, these people would have been interacting with people all the time everywhere you would have had people traveling back and forth uh, between the communities all the time and they would always say what news of so and so or what news from where you've been and as the as jesus does these miracles over time more and more people hear about him because so for example right before this uh, jesus healed the syrophoenician woman the people would have said you should have seen this guy this Jesus guy walked in and healed this lady, right? Uh, Or a chapter before that, Jesus walks on water, right? Um, This guy walked across, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, superstar, my swimming pool. Um, (laughs) this, This message would have been traveling around and maybe to get a idea of what it would have looked like, you should go to a place like uh, Africa, where they still have societies of people who travel primarily by walking, and uh, they spread the news primarily through word of mouth. And it, it, it is a legitimate way to spread news quickly, even though it's beyond our comprehension here in the modern world.
1: It's also hard to imagine cultures where, you know, right now when we have, you know, social distancing and lockdowns and all this kind of stuff to deal with, If you go to other cultures, uh, some even in the United States, uh, you and your family can be sitting down at a table to eat and all of a sudden somebody joins you and they start up a conversation and they don't think anything of it. Uh, this This is fairly common in other cultures because... People interact. People talk. And we have taken that so, so far the other extreme now. Uh, when we come back from our break, we want to look at the actual miracle, Jesus, and not only the miracle, but some of the almost odd things that Jesus does in connection with this miracle. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't chase that dial.
3: are listening to KNNALP LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We are looking at the readings for the 12th Sunday after Trinity. Our Gospel reading, Mark 7, 31-37. We've got some of the historical background, talked about miracles in general. And uh, brings us to verse 32. They were not 100% sure whether it was some uh, local pagans that had heard about Jesus or if these were some of the large crowds that were following Jesus wherever he went. Uh, But some people, because uh, they heard about Jesus, they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. Pastor, a few words on uh, being deaf and speech impediment—I don't know if it's a politically correct word again or not—but uh, he is a—he is uh, deaf and dumb, meaning uh, not able to speak or speak well. Deaf and mute. So, um, why would that be an issue for somebody to not be able to hear and not be able to speak?
0: Well, they actually go together. Uh, even in our world today, if you cannot hear. Uh, the sounds that other people are making, or you cannot hear the sounds that you are making, oftentimes, uh, as a result of that, when you try to speak, your words don't come out quite right. You don't hear the little details, uh, even if you're trying to move your mouth the right way. And maybe he heard uh, just a little bit and could kind of hear, but he couldn't repeat it very well. And so being unable to hear does usually cause a
1: speech impediment. And it works the other way around, too, you know, with the... uh proliferation of masks uh, as one who is hard of hearing. When I can't read people's lips, I can't hear or my hearing is distorted. So the hearing and the speaking go together both ways, both ways. Now, uh, I think one of the most interesting things about this particular uh, miracle, they ask him to lay his hand on him. Uh, they specifically ask for the touch of Jesus. Pastor, is that significant? Well, I, I think it is. What they're
0: asking is for Christ to heal him, and um, their understanding of it, uh, at first at least, is that it's some sort of, um, you know, by touch uh, this magic takes place and things like that, and so that's the, what they're we asking. We see this
1: also in Mark where the, um, where the woman with the issue of blood uh, just wants to touch his cloak, just you know like like there's some aura coming off of him
0: okay right and um i'm not saying that God cannot heal that way. He does, just like in the example you just mentioned with that woman. Uh, and yet the healing is still not ever complete without a word that's attached to it. And, and that because uh, you might be healed physically, um, but it doesn't mean that you're healed spiritually speaking and your spirit is only healed by
1: the power of Christ's word. Does you no know good to be healed physically and then spend eternity in hell? Correct. Uh, so that's, that's uh, very, very, I would hope that would be obvious to people. Okay, so Jesus takes him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. This seems very odd if Jesus wants people to, you know, know that he is the uh, son of God, uh, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the promised Messiah. It would seem that he would want the crowds to know, but he takes him aside privately. And then he goes through this little ritual with regard to putting his fingers in his ears and uh, spitting, touches his tongue. Uh, you know, again, in this, in this day and age of pandemic, you know, uh, Jesus would immediately be arrested for, uh, you know, uh, the whole bodily fluid thing here. So why is Jesus doing this? And is it as simple as? as Jesus is preaching to him with sign language, telling him what he's about to do.
0: I think that's a part of it, and there's even a little bit of ambiguity here because of the Greek and the translation, right? Uh, You know, we have implied and brought into it our understanding that Jesus spat and touched the man's ears, and touched the man's tongue. But it doesn't say that in the Greek, it just says his. So it could be Jesus is very clearly communicating with the man via sign language by pointing at his own ears as if to say, you don't hear, and by spitting and touching his own tongue saying, and you don't speak. Uh, And so, you know, I think it is, communication that's taking place with a man who cannot hear and that's what Jesus is doing. Whether he's touching the man's ears and his own tongue uh, and the man's tongue or his own ears and his own tongue, it's not clear but it doesn't really matter because this is Jesus talking to the man in a way the man can understand.
1: Faith comes by hearing and the man can't hear and so Jesus is preaching to him one way or the other. Uh, uh, he's communicating to him, telling him what he's about to do. You mentioned earlier in our first segment that uh, the miracles always are accompanied by the word of God. And a miracle without the word of God is always an incomplete miracle. And so uh, the, the, Jesus is preaching to the man, and then he looks up into heaven. He sighs and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Now here again, Jesus is preaching. Jesus is proclaiming this word. Uh, seems like kind of an odd word to uh, to preach. Um, you know, I, I suppose our TV healers would say would uh, would say, "Be healed," you know, or uh, "I uh, I command by the power of God." Uh, COVID, get away from our country. You know, you've seen some of these silly things on TV. So. Um, Jesus speaking the word and this uh, note here, looking up to heaven. He sighed and then said to the man, to him, Ephatha, be opened.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's, it's God uh, with his creative word accomplishing things God always works in his word let there be light and there was let there be trees and there were let uh, your ears be opened and they are let your tongue be opened and it is and uh, what I love about it is is in the Greek it's in the aorist passive voice which means it's making it very clear that this man does nothing to accomplish this it's not like he has to believe the right way or he has to uh, invite Jesus to come and do it or anything like that it is completely passive on his part and the verb uh conjugation makes that
1: very clear. I think that's the first word the man ever heard. I think it is. Yes, I think so too. And uh, when you when you think about that word be opened, you think about not only the man's ears being opened and his tongue being able to proclaim his praise Psalm 51 kind of thing. You you think about heaven's door being opened you think about the the uh, stone in front of the tomb being opened you think about salvation full and free is now open to this man by the power of god is it, it my taking that too far no i don't think so and i,
0: I think it's worth pointing out to the miracle uh that is proclaimed as it says that the man is now able to speak plainly which is a learned uh a learned process of your body you know so if you broke your leg and were unable to walk for a while before you can go and start walking again they send you to physical therapy where you learn to use the muscles the right way and strengthen them so you're able to walk without limping Um, if a person um, you know has never been able to read, they have to actually take the time to learn the letters and the sounds they make, put them together. There's a process that takes place that should happen with this man speaking as well. You see it with your children when they're born, the way they learn to speak. Um, And yet this man doesn't do it. As soon as the word of Christ comes to him, the whole knowledge of even how to say words clearly and properly is brought about within him at the word of Jesus. And therefore we see again, which I think is the key, the word of God does exactly what the word of God wants it to, with no questions or um, um, incompletenesses about it.
1: Fully and completely, totally by grace. Pastor, I don't know if we've talked about this before or not, but it seems to me that there are some parallels with regard to friends brought this man to Jesus. Jesus speaks a word and he is healed with regard to parents bringing their children to the baptismal font where Jesus speaks a word and heaven is open to them. Um, There's, I mean, there's spit, but there's no water. There's no, uh, Can we make those kind of parallels, or is that an illegitimate use of scripture?
0: I, th- I think we could. I think we would be very careful not to jump too far and say the spit is baptismal water. But what we can say is is that the Word of Christ does this work for this man and does create faith and heals him. And uh, it's not just plain water in the baptismal font, but it's the Word of God with the water that does this. And so in the same way, we're going to emphasize God's Word is at work. And it, it's not just at work as we hear it in our ears but also as we eat it with our tongues and as we uh, receive it in the waters of baptism as well. So God's word being the main means of grace or sacrament, uh,
1: even as it's brought to us in these other means as well. In uh, in the gospel of Mark, often, Jesus tells people, don't tell anybody about what happened. And then the people run out and tell everybody what happened. And many scholars have killed trees and barrels of ink, writing dissertations on the Markan secret. This is a big, big, big thing that biblical scholars talk about. Pastor, we got about a minute and a half in this segment or so. Um, what's the big deal with the Markan secret, and why should I care?
0: Well, um the big deal is, from Jesus' perspective, uh, it's not yet his time to go to the cross and to die for sins. He needs to fulfill all the work of preaching first. And that's why he asks people not to tell. But uh, people are really bad at keeping secrets, especially sinful people. And so they don't do very well at doing that, as we, we see in Mark's gospel. Um, and, and it's hard to blame the people for continuing to speak about Jesus because Jesus was doing amazing things that no one else could ever do and displaying that he was the son of God. And yet Christ is very careful to do things on his terms, not on the terms of these people, not to become their worldly king because that's what they wanted and that's what they'd heard about him. He knows his job and his message and he won't be sidetracked from that. And that's why he keeps saying, this isn't, the purpose that I'm here, I'm not just going to be your doctor. I'm not going to be your king. I'm going to be your sin sacrifice, and that takes place at my time according to my
1: will. And I I think that's all we need to talk about with regard to the mark and secret. Uh, People, the, the, the scholastics and theologians make big, big deal out of this. It's not time for Jesus, who is the Savior, the Messiah, God in the flesh. So Jesus tells these people not to tell, gives them a direct command, Pastor, and um, the people go out and tell anyway. Was that a sin?
0: Um, I mean, it is in the sense that they're not listening to Christ's own word and obeying it. But um, I think that's the reality. I don't think we would do any different if we were uh, in in that time in that situation, uh, even in this time in that situation. And that's just the reality of us being sinful people. I think what's even more key, though, is uh, they say he has done all things well in fulfillment of, say, like Isaiah, where uh, Isaiah says that the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and and things like that. It's also a fulfillment again then of Genesis where um, Christ creates things by the power of his word, and, and the response is he sees all the things and they are very good, and the same thing with this healing of this man. So it's an acknowledgment, it's a confession that uh, Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of
1: God. When we come back from our break, we're going to look at the Old Testament reading for the twelfth Sunday after Trinity, Isaiah twenty-nine, seventeen to twenty-four. We'll be right back.
3: You are listening to KNNALP ninety-five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us. We worship at 8 and 1030 each Sunday, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. We also gather every Wednesday evening at 630. That's a year-round special service that we have. We'd love to have you with us. Every one of our worship services is broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 here in Lincoln. Check us out on the website, either the church website or the radio website, to uh, listen if you're outside of our area. A lot of great stuff on our uh, archive sections there as well. And uh, we always, as always, love to have your feedback. The Old Testament reading for the twelfth Sunday after trinity isaiah twenty nine seventeen to twenty four
2: vicar is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest in that day the deaf shall hear the words of a brook book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffers cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham, concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction.
1: Okay, uh, we have some, um, you know, end of the world uh, kind of imagery here. But we also have some Jesus in the flesh, walking around, doing his thing kind of imagery. Uh, this this uh, prophetic perspective, I think, comes out very, very clearly. And uh, for those that have listened to this program, you know what we're talking about. If you, if you haven't heard that phrase before, uh, imagine yourself driving to Colorado uh, on I-80. You see the mountains off in the distance and you can't really tell how far away they are. You keep driving and driving and driving, and they get closer, but you're still many, many miles away. So they're close, but they're far away, and there's a lot of the prophecies that we have in Scripture that are that way as well. Some of them are more immediately fulfilled. Some of them are far out in the distance. Some are both. And so here... Um, Is not a very little while until Lebanon. You know, Lebanon's been in the news lately with the, uh, you know, kind of mysterious bombing that took place in Beirut. Uh, What does Lebanon have to do with our gospel reading, if anything, Pastor?
0: Well, actually, it has a lot to do because the uh, area of Tyre and Sidon back in the Bronze Age were Lebanese uh, or Lebanon. Uh, in their way of thinking. Uh, Tyre and Sidon were important maritime and trade centers uh, in ancient Lebanon. They were uh, Canaanite cities, um, and uh, they were eventually uh, taken over and and put into the uh, Roman Empire in the cities that we heard about in our gospel lesson.
1: Now, we get the impression here uh, in Isaiah 29 that Lebanon is like a wasteland. Lebanon is like Some desert or deserted place because in a very little, uh, it is not, is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field as if it's not a fruitful field now. And then the progression and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. Now, my understanding is that trees brought great uh, value, great wealth. And if you had trees like the trees of Lebanon, as we know in scripture, that was a really, really big deal. Um, am I reading this correctly here or is, is there something else going on, Pastor?
0: No, you are reading it correctly. And, and I think that's very key in understanding this particular particular Old Testament lesson not in the sense of actually uh, Lebanon being a desert literally speaking, but spiritually speaking, it definitely is. Um, And this is key. Lebanon, uh, specifically Tyre and Sidon, uh, they are associated loosely with um, the city of Carthage. They're all uh, Phoenician cities. uh, Punic and Phoenician have the same root. I don't know if you knew that. And so when you think about the Punic Wars uh, of Rome and uh, Carthage, it's the same people as Lebanon and Tyre and Sidon. And so we know that they're pagan in their faith. And what God is saying here through Isaiah is that the time will come when they'll be ready to hear the word and believe it. And we see this take place in our gospel lesson as Jesus is wandering through Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis, areas that would be pagan in their history and in their people but now they're eager to hear the gospel as it's preached by Jesus Christ this is then taken even a step further than after the resurrection of Christ when the disciples go out from uh, first Judea and then to um, you know the areas of Cana uh, Canaanite and then um, you know they're even centered in Antioch and places like that later on
1: so Jesus going into Tyre and Sidon preaching teaching and healing there proclaiming the good news displaying that he is god in the flesh the messiah is a fulfillment of this prophecy that we have here in Isaiah 29:17 to 24
0: and I would say not just Jesus preaching and teaching, but the people of those towns hearing the word and believing it uh, is the fulfillment part.
1: Excellent, because you've got that, that theme running all the way through here. And we don't have time to go through every detail of every verse, but you have that theme going through uh, where uh, uh, Vicar uh, you know, stumbled a little bit. <laughs> the deaf shall hear the words of a book A book, you know, we're talking about God's word here. And then uh, a little bit later on, it's talking about hearing the word of God. And so uh, when when I saw this uh, middle section here, Pastor, I couldn't help but think about some of our current cultural things. Starting in verse 20, For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease and all who watch to do evil shall be cut cut off that sounds an awful lot like the ruthless people that are living and acting in our world today scoffing at the word of god or the need to assemble people who sit back and watch evil like looting and rioting and murder and do nothing and then it goes on in verse 21 and i thought of social media here who by a word make a man out to be an offender. man, just one word right now uh, uh, in the right spot or wrong spot on social media will tear somebody down their reputation forever and lay a snare for him who reproves at the gate and with an enemy uh, plea turn turn aside him who is in the right um, pastor, nothing new under the sun. The sins in Lebanon, the sins in our world today, uh, am I going too far?
0: No, I, I think that sinful people do the same things over and over and over again, and that's part of our uh, curse, and, and if you are a student of history, you see that, right? Um, even... Uh, pandemics happen over and over again, Uh, rioting happens over and over again, wars happen over and over again, Uh, natural disasters, um, people cheating and stealing, that's always been a problem, right, Um, people eager for power and clinging to it, uh, um, or even doing deceitful evil things to gain power for themselves or for their um, political party. This is, this is what sinners do because sinners don't see God and the promise of eternity that God gives, but instead all they see is what happens in this life. And so they'll do whatever they can to keep that for themselves and to gain it for themselves.
1: So uh, again, I don't want to stretch this too far, but Lebanon was a rich, powerful area but God calls them a wasteland because they are spiritually wasted. And how many times haven't we heard about uh, the greatest economy in the history of the world? And yet you look at our country, and in many respects, we are a spiritual wasteland. I just see so many connections here. And, Pastor. And that, oh, God.
0: that should give us a little bit of hope as well because... Um, God doesn't let the spiritual wastefulness exist. He takes care of it and uh, destroys our idols so that all that's left is him. And uh, and we as Christians, too, we're not eager to live in this world. We, we greatly desire to depart and to be with Christ, and we know that that's what God will take care of for us in his good time, and that in the end then we'll be victorious in all the things that people have been fighting and worrying about here. will will uh, be destroyed with fire
1: to never exist uh, again, but we will live and exist forever. And the reason for that, the reason for hope for the people of Lebanon, uh, Tyre and Sidon, the pe- reason of hope for the people in America today, all over the world for all time is the same. And it is the Holy One of Israel. What can you tell us about that specific name? Because we see it a lot in Isaiah, but it is a messianic name a messianic title what uh, unpack for us the how jesus is the holy one of israel
0: Well, he's the Holy One of Israel in the sense, as the text says, that he redeemed Abraham and he's taken care of the entire house of Judah. But he also is the Holy One of Israel in the sense that he is the only one who's fulfilled what God's law says uh, completely and totally for us and for all people. He's the one who has done everything necessary for our salvation. He's the one whom God is well pleased with. um, And in him, then, we also have our salvation and peace and comfort and joy
1: and are made holy by the power of his word and we have that at the end of our text they will sanctify my name they will sanctify the holy one of jacob will stand in awe of the god of israel just like the people at the end of our gospel text uh you know he has done all things well the holiness of god you get out your catechism and you'll you'll see the definition that god is sinless and he hates sin uh this is one of his divine attributes The shocking part is that the Holy One of God, God's holiness, would take on flesh and blood and come and live among us, the Holy One of Israel, in our midst. And he's here not to condemn us, not to vaporize us, not to scold us or give us a new law, but he's here to save us by shedding his blood on Calvary's cross. The focus of the prophecies of Isaiah are all fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. Yeah, amen. Amen. All right, well, we need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 12th Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we're going to look at Romans 10, 9 to 17. Don't change that dial.
3: Listening to KNNA LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, Lord,
1: Welcome back to Proclaiming One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for our divine service. We are proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin, the Holy One of Israel, who is in our midst, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we heard in our last segment from Isaiah 29. We're looking at the readings for the 12th Sunday after Trinity in our first two segments. We looked at the gospel reading for Trinity 12, Mark 7, 31 to 37, Jesus' miraculous healing of the deaf mute. We see the person, work, ministry of Jesus prophesied in our Old Testament reading in Isaiah 29, and now we see a practical example. Right off the bat, Pastor talked about how miracles without the Word of God are meaningless, and the miracle is often there to get the attention so that we can hear the Word of God. We're going to look at the alternate reading for the 12th Sunday after Trinity, Romans 10, 9-17. You may... Uh, Remember hearing these words if you've ever been to an ordination or an installation of a pastor. Vicar, take it away.
2: If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed what he has heard from us so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ
1: okay we're very very familiar with that last verse there Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing hearing through the word of Christ this is a a very good very important section of Romans for us to examine and I would contend pastor that one of the reasons why this is so important for us to study and to get right is because there is perhaps no more abused and misused section of scripture in uh, especially in Paul's epistles although there's a lot of abuse that goes on with uh, uh, Romans uh, 11 and, uh, you know, the whole conversion of the Jews and all this kind of stuff, uh, 9, 10, 11, this section. But here, it begins in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pastor, is this a two-part approach to salvation? Do we have some that... Confess but don't believe, some that believe and don't confess. There is much confusion with regard to this particular verse, what it means, and does it mean that, um, as some boldly teach, that uh, certain Christians are only like half or partial Christians because they haven't achieved some sort of status where they are making a bold <laughs> confession or doing some other thing.
0: Well, see, if, if you're operating that way, then you're not actually listening to what St. Paul is saying in a, in a logical way. St. Paul's very logical. That's what he's trained in uh, as a Pharisee. And, and so he's making an argument that you can't just take one little bit out of it without taking the whole argument together. And so, you know, you can't say you know if you believe but you haven't confessed and you're not saved or anything. These things all go together. The question that you should be asking is, okay, how do I confess and believe, right? Because that's the important thing. And he's, he's and we have how how how
1: how how later on in the right. argument. So that that that's perfect. Uh, connection
0: there. I mean, so he's, he's quoting Joel here, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved in regards to confession. Uh, and he's saying that what you confess actually reflects what you believe in your heart. Uh, and these things go together. And then, the, you know, the logical question that we need to ask and not take this out of context with is, so then how do I believe so that I confess?
1: It goes on in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Again, there are those who would say that, um, well, I'll, I'll just say what some of the critique is out there. You know, Lutherans are pretty good with, uh, you know, the whole justification and faith alone part. But they're really crummy when it comes to sanctification. They're really crummy with regard to uh, doing good works, helping the the downtrodden, feeding the poor, that kind of a thing. So they're like half Christians. They've got like one part of faith, and they they need to get past Christianity 101 and move to the second level of Christianity. Is Paul teaching levels of salvation or levels of Christianity here? Here? No. Okay. How do, how do we combat that then? What we
0: we I mean we would take the whole word of Paul together as an argument. We don't just cherry pick particular uh, verses out of context and then build a theology around that. And and if you read this whole passage, the whole chapter uh, together, you understand. Paul is leading towards the fact that the way you become a Christian is by hearing God's Word, and that Word uh, allows the Holy Spirit to work in you, which creates faith in your heart that believes, which allows your mouth to confess uh, that faith and uh, outwardly display that. And, And definitely we would say, The confession isn't just your mouth moving and sound coming out, but rather your confession is the entire life that you live. Uh, But we can't isolate that as as some of the pietists would. Uh, We can't isolate the uh, feeling in your heart as the Mormons would. Uh, We have to take the whole thing together. It's the whole ball of wax, not just little bits that we want to make fit ourselves because we feel we do pretty good at that.
1: In our gospel reading, we talked about how hearing and speaking go together, and they are intimately connected. Can we make that same kind of a connection between uh, the heart and the mouth in verse 10?
0: I think you definitely can. I think that's what Paul is doing here.
1: Yes, I I think you must. Um, Otherwise, you're going to go off on one of these oddball out-and-left-field tracks, and you're going to end up with a theology that is not biblical. Okay, quotes Joel in verse 13, and then we have this uh, list of questions, uh, most would say rhetorical questions. And this is the argument that, that you ought to pay attention to. And, and this, is, this is the key here. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, uh, if you call on the name of the Lord, according to Joel, you will be saved. But you can't call on him if you don't believe in him. And then the next part, and how can they believe if they've never heard? And here's the next part, and how can they hear without someone preaching? Oh, preaching, that kind of goes against the whole invite Jesus into my heart kind of a thing, doesn't it? This comes from outside of me, not inside of me. And then in verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? So we have this, um, this, this, um, logical progression of rhetorical questions here ending in another quote and this time from Isaiah 52 how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news pastor teach us about these how 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 questions
0: well I think I mean Consider this as St. Paul writing, and consider St. Paul on the Areopagus, right, where he goes to the altar to the unknown God and says, There is an unknown God. You haven't known him, and so you haven't been able to call on him. Let me tell you about him. And then he tells them all about Jesus who came down, was crucified and risen to take away all sins, and how in him we have eternal life. That's the same sort of argument he's making here, right? If you don't know that there's a God, you don't talk to the God. And if you know that there's a God, you have to know which God it is that you're talking to. And how do you know which God it is that you're talking to? Well, someone has to tell you. Um, And so you have to hear. And that's what uh, this preaching business is all about. Well, how can you hear if no one speaks. And so you have a preacher, and the preacher is the one who tells you about that. And this whole process is what takes place mostly in our divine service, right? Where the Word of God is preached and proclaimed in its truth and purity, and we as the people of God hear that word and uh, read Mark, learn it, inwardly digest it. And as a result, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the church on earth and makes it believe in Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. Uh, Pastor, there's a, a troubling word in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. We don't usually think of that word obeying going with the gospel. Um, what, what can we say about that? You know, Normally we, we talk about just simply hearing and believing the gospel. Um, are we mixing some kind of works righteousness in here?
0: No. uh, When we're talking about this word obedience here in that particular regard, we do mean it in terms of faith. They don't all have faith in this gospel. They don't all uh, listen and truly understand it. And that that's not a wrong way to talk about it. It's maybe uh, a little different than what we're used to in our modern world, but it is the truth all the same.
1: It uh, it focuses my attention on the obedience of Christ whenever I see that word obedience linked to the gospel, the active obedience of Jesus as he actively fulfills the law on our behalf, the passive obedience of Jesus as he passively takes it he suffers and dies on calvary's cross for us and, and
0: in the greek the word is and it, it's a that's kind of fun to say isn't yeah "akuo" is the word to here. listen and and so in the sense too from paul's perspective as he's writing this argument it makes perfect sense right if um if my kid is across the playground and i say don't walk between the swings while people are on them. If he can't hear me, he cannot obey. Um, In the same way, not all people hear or obey God's own word because they haven't heard it or
1: listened to it. And so even in that word, we have uh, kind of a, foreshadowing or a preview of the clincher at the bottom faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ and so that it's pointing us forward to the bottom line of the argument if you want to believe it's the same for Jew and Gentile if you want to believe it's not by obedience to the law it's not by your family lineage it is by hearing the word of Christ and the word of Christ is life
0: and I think that's where our hearers uh, for this radio show need to uh, take stock in themselves in regards to... Are you hearing God's word regularly? Are you participating in the life of the church? Are you in the divine service? Do you read the scriptures at home? Uh, Or uh, what is it that you actually do listen to? Is it uh, the uh, sports radio? Is it the uh, KLIN news? Is it, uh, what are you listening to? The most important thing that you listen to is the word of God, because that's the thing that gives you faith, and that's the thing then that uh, grants eternal life. And, And when you do
1: listen, it's a result of God's work in your life. Vicar, bring things to a close with the collect of the day would you please
2: let us pray almighty and merciful god by your gift alone your faithful people render true and laudable service help us steadfastly to live in this life according to your promises and finally attain your heavenly glory through jesus christ your son our lord who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit one god now and forever
1: Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, this is Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in today. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, and please go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.